The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data... Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss performance marketing and machine learning from a very practical standpoint. Joining us is Mike Nelson, who is a co-founder at 415 Digital, which is a growth agency dedicated to marketing businesses via search engine marketing and powerful digital campaigns designed to elevate your business's online presence and influence. And today, Mike is going to tell us about his view on how Google is using machine learning and what it means for performance marketers. Okay, here's our interview with Mike Nelson, co-founder of 415 Digital. Mike, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Hey, Ben. uh, Happy to be here and looking forward to talking about Google. Absolutely. Always great to connect with a local vendor. I see that you're out here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I'm excited to hear a little bit about your take on what's going on with Google and the other performance marketing channels. Let's start off. Can you give me an overview on your company and a little bit about your background? So I've got a co-founder. His name is Borja Kwan. So he and I started the agency 415 Digital about a year ago. Before that, both he and I were working at various places, in-house, agencies, etc. And when we started the agency, we really wanted to make sure that there were boutique vendors out there. We did a really, really good job. High effort, high labor, obviously high-skilled folks. So that was kind of our vision, putting it as simple as possible. So Again, it's been about a year and we've had a lot of success. We've got 10 employees. I also moved from San Francisco myself to Long Beach area. So we've got two offices and things are going really great. Uh, We've got maybe 15 or 16 different clients, all shapes and sizes all over the country. Some making a couple billion dollars a year in revenue, which is incredible. Some also just local businesses in our area of of Walnut Creek and in L.A., So it's been really fun. We focus on Google and Facebook and LinkedIn and really just the things that are most important for a business's online advertising approach. So congratulations. It sounds like it's been a banner year for you personally and also for the company professionally. The first year is always the hardest one. And it sounds like you're nailing it with flying colors. Talk to me about some of the channels that you're applying. You know, you have billion dollar revenue companies and I'm sure some that are smaller and as you mentioned, more boutique What's the hot performance marketing channel and what's your go-to strategy? I think a lot of times you'll sort of read or even hear Facebook is down, Google is up, etc. I think a lot of this stuff is really a bit of hyperbole, frankly. 
At the end of the day, what we're finding most success in most of the time is Facebook. That's going to be true mostly for lead gen and e-commerce. And then Google as well, although Google's going through a lot of changes. I think that back in the day, I've been doing search for close to 12 years now, which is kind of crazy since I'm only 31 years old, luckily. But anyways, it's been 12 years. Back in the day, we would just buy keywords and it would work. We would make money. It was pretty easy. You would hire an agency back then because you didn't know how to use Google Ads Editor or you didn't have time or you didn't even know the basics, like what's broad match, what's phrase match, things like that. But Google is really feeling, I think, the heat from Facebook still. And they've put a lot of emphasis on creating audience approaches. Facebook is all about the audience and creative versus Google was all about keywords before. So now it's equally about keywords and audiences. So with that advancement there, I think Google's catching up a bit. And because of that, we can do Facebook and Google and those are super successful. And then increasingly in the B2B space, we're doing a lot more on LinkedIn's ad platform, a little bit on Quora's ad platform, although the reach there is limited. Being search is doing well, like always, just smaller volume. Gemini, not really had much success there. Taboola and native advertising, I think it's trending, but some of the performance there can be not nearly as good from the direct response standpoint. So one of the things that sticks out to me across the multiple channels that you mentioned, right, there's some sort of conflict and it's a battleground between these large players. And there's this host of up-and-comers, whether they're the native networks or some of the smaller social networks, like you mentioned, Quora and LinkedIn, obviously established companies, but still developing ad platforms. But the competition between Facebook and Google is really interesting to me. I think of Facebook as the replacement for the display networks, the old Yahoo AOL, where you're taking a visual form of advertising and used to be spreading across the major portal partnerships but they've taken all of the data and targeting capability that was so unique with Google, right? Because you were able to target in keywords, but they're applying it into a display medium. Talk to me about how you're seeing the targeting capabilities being different and how is the delivery of the ad unit, whether it be text-based or imagery focused, why does that impact what the companies are thinking about in terms of how they're setting up their targeting capabilities? Just to address some of the stuff you said earlier in the question, I completely agree with you. I think Facebook has really taken away a lot of the inventory that advertisers may have invested in the past on the display networks. What we see on Facebook is the validity of a view through conversion is much higher. There is a behavior where a user sees an ad on Facebook and then will go search for it on Google. That's the claim that a lot of DSP vendors have made, and I've always thought it was a bit silly and over-exaggerated. And when we do tests, we sort of see the same thing. So I agree with you. There's been this shift from display into Facebook. Because of that, I think Google will say, hey, Facebook's not really our competitor, but the reality is they really are. I mean, I've seen advertisers shift million-dollar-a-month budgets almost entirely from Google to Facebook over the last five years or so. So it's, it's pretty crazy. On the creative side of things, I think that Facebook had a unique challenge that Google never really had to deal with. Facebook had this challenge of selling people to users that had no intent to buy anything. You know, it's all sort of driven by impulse and things like that. So I think they put a lot more emphasis on the creative units. They invented, in my mind, the carousel or perfected it. And now Google copies it in their Gmail ads. 
Facebook was the medium, even though YouTube was around earlier, when we were talking about video ads a few years ago, everybody was talking about Facebook video ads, and at least in my community and, and also with our ad spend. And YouTube was, in a lot of ways, still is an afterthought for video ad spending. Google is really just developing capabilities on YouTube, like capturing leads from the actual ads and things like that. So because I think Facebook had this challenge of making people buy when they didn't say they want to buy, aka a search keyword, have done really well with creative development in addition to having just much better data than any DSP would or, or display vendor through whatever means they gathered that data. So that's the interesting thing to me is that you're saying that people are shifting their budgets still more towards Facebook, even though it's kind of popular to say people are shifting budgets away. And I think of Google ads being farther down the funnel because a consumer is likely already showing some sense of purchase intent, right? When they're searching for a keyword, they're closer to buying than they are when they're on Facebook and they're just browsing, not knowing what they're looking for. Why is Facebook performing better than Google if it is higher up the funnel? To clarify a little bit as well, I do think there is the notion of budget shifting. But in general, what we see, and this is backed up by a lot of data, is the ad market is also growing, right? So it could be, hey, I was spending 300K a month on Google and then only 100K on Facebook. I'm going to increase Facebook also up to 300K. So, so usually that's what's happening and that's what we're looking for because we want to buy media on a performance basis, not on a budget basis. So anyways, just to clarify that, there, there is some shifting, but there's also just a lot of growing. In terms of your question, what we see usually from a click-through perspective, and this is a gross generalization, is that we can get the conversion rates on Facebook to be 80 to 100% of what they are on Google. To your point, Google CDR is a bit better because it's lower in the funnel. There is intent. They've improved their audience capabilities so that you can, you know, you and I are different people. If we search for the same thing, even though we're searching for the same thing, we most likely don't have the equal chance of buying it. So they've improved that audience data so that they can make decisions on who they should bid more for or less on. And anyways, their CDRs keep going up. But the Google media is just so profoundly expensive, particularly on search. We're talking about in a lot of verticals nowadays, three, four, five, six dollar clicks in the United States, sometimes 15, 20 if you're in a B2B environment. There are very, very few cases where you can buy a click on Google for 30 cents. And there's still a fair number of cases on Facebook where you can buy a click for 30 cents. So because of that CPC difference, that's where we get the high, grossly overgeneralized claim that Facebook can be more efficient from a performance perspective than Google. So it's really a function of CPC differences is the short answer there. What I'm hearing is that you can target tightly on Facebook and the overall inventory is still cheaper, even though the inventory on Facebook is getting noticeably more expensive. And I do think that's the reason why you're seeing more opportunity for these smaller and developing social networks, the Quora's, the LinkedIn's of the world. And I want to throw Twitter in there, although I'm not really sure what's happening with their ad platform. So it's interesting to put this in the perspective of Google versus Facebook, but I actually think of this in the sense of what is the most mature marketing channel? Google's been around longer than Facebook. Their media is going to get more expensive over time, and we're seeing that happen in Facebook as well. The more people are flocking towards those channels, the more expensive the media gets because there's just more competition from a buyer perspective. Let's take Google as the example because they're the most mature advertising channel. What are they doing to counterbalance the rising cost in their media? 
Before I get into that, which quick preview of that answer is really machine learning and TCPA baiting, I do want to address quickly the notion of fill rate. So there are a lot of advertisers on Google because it's a mature platform. Google still allows ARB, people like Ask.com buying auctions, a bunch of things like that where there are dozens of advertisers that have millions and millions of keywords. Match types are really aggressive nowadays. There's not even a true exact match that exists anymore. You can't just say, hey, Google, when somebody searches for baseball cards, I only want to show up for baseball cards. It doesn't work that way. It'll show all sorts of variations. So because you have all these art players, a lot of advertisers, a good platform, a lot of matching that's pretty aggressive, their fill rate is extremely high. If you go to Google and you search for something on Google and you don't see an ad, that doesn't mean nobody's buying it. There's probably dozens of people trying to buy it. You're in a test group. <laughs> You're a control. Maybe that's true, but it's more so that Google's like all of these advertisers trying to bid, they're not even good enough to show you the user an ad. They're not paying me, Google, enough to show you an ad. So if they're not showing up, it's because Google wants more money. And you know what? Advertisers will see they're not showing up and they'll pay more money. Anyways, before we get into how Google is counteracting CPCs, I think understanding that fill rate and the number of advertisers on Google is profoundly high. You can't buy long tail keywords anymore. That doesn't really exist. Google's going to make matches with short keywords to long keywords automatically. And it's just a lot of competition. And there's a lot of proof of that. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. So that understood, right? Google's fill rate is high because there are enough advertisers that are buying broad match keywords that they're basically able to sell out their inventory. But on some level, that means that their inventory gets more and more expensive, which gets ad buyers out of the marketplace. So what are they doing to counterbalance the rising cost of their inventory? 
Exactly. I mean, I think Google is probably a pretty strategic company and they realize in order to retain advertisers, they need to have good performance. So they let a lot of people in the door, but the way that they cater to individual advertisers is really, really smart. The way that we can ensure that an individual advertiser is successful, in my mind, and really the agency minds, is using TCPA and smart bidding. So leveraging the machine learning that Google has been building up over a decade plus. There's this notion of machine learning is new and things like that. We've been using target CPA bidding for almost a decade. So they've been investing all of that time and probably hundreds of millions. I mean, if you told me Google invested a billion dollars in machine learning, I think that's probably reasonable. So what they're doing for individual advertisers is when a user goes to Google and they make a query, there's all sorts of extra data that Google has. So just to run you through the list of what that extra data is, they know your device, obviously. They know your location. They know your location intent as well. So like there's two different types of location where you're physically located and if you have an intent for a different location. So you might be querying something like trips to France, but you're in the United States. So there's actually two location indicators there. They are taking into account what time you're doing something as well. So that's time of day and also day of week. They're taking into account whether or not you've been to an advertiser who they want to serve an ad for in the past. So remarketing. If you've been to an advertiser in the last 14 days, they're going to know that. They're going to know what browser you're running on. So if you as an advertiser have an under-optimized Chrome experience, aka your CVR is under benchmark there, they're not going to show your ads on Chrome as often. They're going to take into account you, the user, what language is your settings set at, what operating system, your demographics. They know most likely if you're a male or a female. They know your income. They know all sorts of stuff. They know, very importantly, what you actually searched for as well. So the actual thing you typed into Google, the advertiser doesn't know that. They just have a keyword, which is sort of a concatenation of search queries. They know if you're on Google or ask.com. They know how many times you've searched for the same thing. They just have a plethora of data on you as a user and also their advertisers so they can decide, hey, Ben just made a query for trips to France. I have 40 advertisers. I'm going to predictively say, which of these three or four do I want to show Ben? And then in conjunction with that, they also check basically to make sure that if they show the ad to you, Ben, that the advertiser is going to meet their CPA goals. They're going to automatically place the right bid on that. So I think that's how they kind of counterbalance the notion of, hey, I have all these advertisers and I have all these users. How do we make good matches? And when we talk about machine learning, it's really about just making a match that makes sense and then bidding appropriately for a click. I think I'll add on to the list of things that you mentioned Google knows about you. If you're using the Chrome browser or an Android phone, they probably have your whole browsing history. If you're using Gmail, they're probably scanning through emails, not a person, but through machine learning to understand what are the topics that are relevant to you. They have a full picture of your entire life, and that's why Google is such an incredible company, and they have an incredible amount of data on each individual user, and the machine learning that they're building helps them map what the right ad experience is, not only from a monetization perspective, but also from a user experience perspective. Right. And I think this is why some of the search engine marketing platforms are struggling right now. The Marins and the Ken Shoes and the Quantic Minds of the world. What they're saying is, hey, I'm going to determine bids for you using my machine learning, my proprietary algorithms, etc. 
frankly, those companies, even though some of them are generating tens of millions of dollars, they don't have the R&D budget nor the brain power of Google, number one. Number two, and this is something that is just not debatable, they don't have the data. A lot of people are worried about the data that Google has and passing it to marketers. As a user, you're worried about that. We as actual marketers, we know that we don't have the data. I'm not going in and making these sort of bids based off of males age 24 who've searched Google seven times on a Chrome browser. They don't give us these opportunities and it's just not something we can do. So it's really on Google to make all of those decisions. And that's why they usually outperform the third-party bid platforms as well. So they just have all sorts of information to your point. And with this information, they're able to get the higher CPCs they want while also escalating conversion rates so they can continue to hit advertisers' goals. So originally, the question I asked you was, what is Google doing to counterbalance the rising cost of their inventory? Based on what you're saying, they're not. They want the inventory to get more expensive, right? They want to continue to monetize their platform. What they're focused on is if you're going to spend a dollar, making sure that you're getting more value over time because they have access to this rich data. So they're really focused on driving conversion rates more than they're trying to manage the cost of their inventory. Yeah, they're trying to make better matches between users and advertisers. So before machine learning, it could have been a scenario where advertiser A pretty much always wins an auction, but because some users convert well for that advertiser and some don't, they can only pay 75 cents per click. Now the scenario is advertiser A, because it's the leader of the space, pays a dollar a click, but they only serve the ad to 80% of the users because advertiser B is also paying a dollar per click because the remaining 20% match advertiser B better. So in that way, Google's got a dollar a click instead of 75 cents a click. You have more advertisers that are sort of getting exposure, even though they've reduced the number of ads that are available on Google, because they're doing better matching through machine learning. So going back to the competition between Google and Facebook, the two largest players in the digital advertising space, if Google is focusing on increasing their conversion rates without decreasing the cost of their inventory, but they're facing competition from Facebook, wouldn't the competition from Facebook drive the cost of their inventory down, right? They're seeing competition. They need to lower prices to retain their advertisers. It doesn't seem like that's actually happening, but from an economic standpoint, right, more competition in theory should drive prices down. It's not happening. What's going on? Yeah, I think there's a few things. I mean, there's a lot of other trends. Just to give you a real example, and these numbers aren't going to be precise, but there's an advertiser that I've been working with for 10 years. They were spending about 30 cents a click 10 years ago, and their cost per sale was about 20 bucks. Nowadays, they're spending $3 a click, and their cost per sale is like 22 bucks. So machine learning on the Google side has helped out, but also advertisers are just getting a lot better at CRO, right? Conversion rate optimization. Also, we have more data from Google Analytics. We can create sort of custom web experiences on the user level as well. So not only is Google helping with a better CBR, but the advertisers are also getting better at making optimizations. So because of that, and you can just look at the data from Google and Facebook, there's never been a sustainably long period where CPC or inventory prices have decreased. They always, always go up. And I'm always sitting here and I'm like, I don't understand how we're going to keep up with this inflated CPC. It seems impossible, but we find a way, right? Through better machine learning on Google side, better ad serving, more testing, better conversion rate optimization, et cetera. 
I think my takeaway here is that the inventory on the major platforms on Facebook and Google is going to continue to get more expensive. And one of the reasons why that's happening is you're getting the larger brands, right? The consumer packaged goods, the auto manufacturers, the older companies with the big marketing budgets are moving more and more of their investment away from traditional media, television, and print into digital advertising. And that trend is happening at a macro scale. If I could interject on that, because that was actually the second point I was going to make. You have the direct response advertisers getting better at converting users, and you have the non-direct response people shifting and still just coming up with ridiculous goals. There are a lot of big advertisers out there who are just like, I just want to pay for clicks. And they're really kind of messing up the auction prices as well, because they're not doing it from a performance perspective. And they want to grow, so they keep shifting more and more money in. So... That's a really good sort of scenario that you bring in in as well. Right. So even though there's increased competition, not only between Google and Facebook, but from some of the other ad platforms that are happening with the media getting more expensive, there's two things that are going to happen. One, conversion rates have to go up to keep advertisers happy and on the platforms. Or two, people are just going to get priced out of these types of digital ad platforms and they're going to have to go look for their media and advertising in other channels. With that said, I think that's a good stopping point for today. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Mike Nelson, a co-founder of 415 Digital for joining us. In part two of our interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Mike is going to tell us about his predictions for which way Google and Facebook are going to take their ad platforms in the not too distant future. And if you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Mike, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send him a tweet at Mike415, that's M-I-K-E-F-O-U-R, the number one, the number five. Or you can visit his company's website, which is 415digital.com. Again, that's F-O-U-R, the number one, the number five, digital.com. A couple of links in our show notes that I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, just head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, we'd love to hear from you. So we created benjshap.com slash question where you can send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of our conversation with Mike Nelson from 415 Digital, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Or if you'd prefer to have our content delivered to your inbox, we also have a once a week newsletter. To subscribe, go to benjshap.com slash newsletter. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.